Growing up, I had a few girlfriends. And I, I mean that with air quotes because none of them are very serious. And if I'm honest with you guys, they're all pretty awkward. And you're going to hear about pretty much every single one of them throughout this year. So you're going to get to hear constant stories about me and my middle school love life. My one request, please have grace for me. Middle school, Derek made a lot of mistakes. He was sinful. He had fallen short of the glory of Jesus. And as I tell you stories about my middle school relationships, I'm going to look bad. Sometimes I might look just awful. Please have grace. So let's jump in to the eighth grade when I was texting this girl and talking to her from my living skills class. She'd like do my sewing for me because I can't do anything like that. So anyways, we started talking in class and talking turned to texting and texting turned to dating in probably about a week, which is how middle school relationships work. We would text all the time, but I felt pretty weird talking to her in person. I'm like, I'm cool texting, but like in-person interaction just seems awkward to me. So she didn't really like that a whole lot. She's like, we're dating. You can't just text me. We need to spend more time together. So she texts me like, hey, baby Derek, can we please hold hands this week on the way to class? And I'd be like, hey, yo, baby girl, I know you want to hold my hand, but we can't do that this week because I got to look smooth, okay? I got to look good. That wasn't really. It's more like I just want to respond, which is my still how I respond to awkward texts. <laughs> Anyways, she'd want to hold hands in the hallway. She'd want to sit together during lunch. Also wasn't very interested in that because I'll be honest. To me, the whole purpose of this relationship was not like spending time with her. The purpose was not spending time in her presence or growing my relationship with her. The purpose of this middle school relationship certainly was not bonding and seeing what God had for a beautiful future for us. No, the purpose of that relationship is I just wanted to be able to say I had a girlfriend. All that mattered to me was getting that title of boyfriend. See, I really liked the idea of having a girlfriend, but the actual practice of spending time with her seemed not to be ideal to me. That was not what I signed up for. The purpose or the point in our relationship was not spending time together. It was just the title of boyfriend. So I think many of us are here tonight, and you might be asking, well, what is the point of my relationship with God? Maybe you're new to this Jesus thing. Maybe you just got plugged in and just kind of met Jesus for the first time in the last couple weeks, and you had fun in Chi Alpha. And this idea of forgiveness and grace, it's kind of enticing. Like, yes, I would like to not perish. The idea of grace sounds fun. Maybe you like the sound of this Jesus guy. Maybe this Jesus that we've been teaching you about is a little bit different than the Jesus you grew up with. Maybe you're intrigued by all this, but you're not necessarily sure why. You're like, why all the hoopla? Why did I buy so many Chick-fil-A sandwiches at the beginning of the year to try to tell people about Jesus? Or maybe you're here and you grew up in church, and you knew that being a Christian is the right thing to do. You have to do that, and you've kind of done it partially out of duty. You knew you should get plugged into a ministry when you came to college, so you checked them out, and you know this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to find a place to go to, but you're asking yourself maybe, why am I doing all this? Why do I keep doing the church things? What's the actual point of Jesus? See, maybe you've been following Jesus, and if you're honest with yourself, it's felt a little lifeless. Maybe it's felt kind of impersonal, and if you're honest about your religion, it's kind of felt like a set of rules more so than anything else. And maybe you just want more from this. Maybe you want more from what God can do in your life. We spent the past few weeks making the claim that we all have this right to royalty. We have a right to be a son or daughter of Jesus. Last week we talked about this woman who Jesus meets at a well and how she was trying to find satisfaction through men in the world. But that came up short. She needed something more fulfilling. And then Jesus offered her living water. And this living water was a relationship with him. And he said, this alone, relationship with me is going to satisfy you. 
See, last week we learned that only the living water of a relationship with Jesus can deeply satisfy us. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, that's great, awesome, I would like to be satisfied, I want Jesus to satisfy me, to fill my deepest longings. But maybe you're asking, well, how is he going to do that? Do I just need to come to Chi Alpha service and small group and then boom, I'm eternally fulfilled forever and life is rainbows and butterflies? Not quite. We're going to read a story tonight from Jesus' life. Jesus is going about his time here on earth and he enters this home of two of his followers. These two followers were two women that were actually sisters and they looked to two completely different methods to try to build a relationship with Jesus. It says this in Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha, there's our first sister, Martha, welcomed him to her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted. She was distracted with much serving. And then she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary... She's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you want to speak tonight, God. I pray that we can just become people who just sit with you, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you the main idea right away tonight. I'm going to give you the answer to the question you might be asking of what is the point of all this? Well, the presence of Jesus is the point. The presence of Jesus is the point, and that's our main idea tonight. So why was Martha so upset going back to our story? Was she mad because she had to do all the housework? That's probably part of it, but that doesn't tell the whole story. See, in this time period, men and women, they were very much divided. There was not to be a lot of interaction with them, and specifically inside the house, the women were supposed to stay in the kitchen, and the men were supposed to stay in the living room, so they didn't have to interact. The only time they'd interact was either outside or in the bedroom. Obviously, I'm not saying this is correct, but that's just the way things worked. However, when Jesus was teaching this group, he would have been teaching in the living room. So when Mary was sitting at his feet and listening to him, not only was she not helping Martha do the housework, she was also violating all societal customs. She was somewhere where she shouldn't have been. And then her sister Martha would have thought that Mary's actions were completely inappropriate. Martha would have asked, who does my sister think she is? But Jesus, Jesus thinks it's okay for this woman to sit at his feet. Jesus thinks it's okay for a woman to learn under him. As we learned last week, Jesus doesn't care a whole lot about societal customs. Jesus wanted everyone to have access to him. And Jesus uses these stories of him interacting with women, the lowly sinners, to show us that everyone can have access to God. So Jesus gives us access to his presence. Jesus comes and he dies on a cross, paying the penalty for our sin, and he rises from the grave not just to give us forgiveness or to give us grace. Yes, Jesus wanted to create a way for us to receive mercy. But his purpose, the purpose in Jesus dying on a cross was not just so you and I can get a ticket to heaven. No, he wanted us to have access to be with him forever. Not just in heaven, but here on earth. See, God, God is perfect, and we are not. So naturally, we shouldn't be able to interact with him because perfection and imperfection should not be able to meet, right? We aren't good enough to be with God naturally. John F. Kennedy, you're like, that was a weird turn, but John F. Kennedy was the 35th president of the United States. He was the most powerful man in the entire world in this time. 
JFK would have been heavily guarded at all times. So getting access to the president is a near impossible task. Well, that's true for everyone except one person. That would be John F. Kennedy Jr. JFK Jr. had access. He's sitting underneath the president. That's like the interns underneath my desk. I'm just kidding. I don't have a desk. <laughs> my desk is my house. That'd be weird. That's my dog. That's better. Anyway, so JFK Jr. gets to sit underneath his father's desk whenever he wants because that's his dad. He's a child of the president, so he gets unlimited access to the president. And the same is true for us. If we follow God, that means we are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, that means you are royalty because God is the king of the universe. And since you are either a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God, if you follow Jesus, we get special access to him. We get to be in the presence of God whenever we want, not because of anything special we've done, but simply because he's our father. Tim Keller says that the only one who can disturb a king at three in the morning for a glass of water is a child of the king. This is the best news we're ever going to hear. We have access to God. So what does this practically look like here on earth? Going back to our story, when it says that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, that might evoke a picture in your brain of like a beggar sitting at the feet, like kissing Jesus' feet, but that's not actually what the context shows us. See, this term sitting under Jesus' feet, what that actually means is she was like apprenticing under him. She was learning under him, training to be like Jesus. So it's not like a pity thing, but it's instead learning underneath of him. And since Jesus tells all of us to be like Mary, tells all of us to have access to God, to sit under his feet, what that means is we all can apprentice or learn under Jesus. That means we get to be with God and learn from him. This is how we give life to our relationship with Jesus. See, just performing religious rituals, just following the rules, that's not a relationship. That's one-sided, and that's not life-giving. Following Jesus should be full of life, should be full of joy, because we encounter him daily. See, for myself, I grew up a Christian. I grew up going to church every Sunday, but if I'm honest with you, my walk with God felt lifeless. I didn't understand the point at times. It felt like I was going through the motions. It was more like an obligation to me. And this all changed for me on January 1st, 2018. That was the day that I started spending personal quiet time with Jesus every single day. And that absolutely changed the game for me. Because Jesus became personal to me. Jesus became my personal savior and friend. I started to understand that life with God is supposed to be fruitful. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to have meaning. It's not just mindlessly following rules. But it's a loving relationship with our creator. So what actually happened though? What did I start doing on that January 1st morning in our tiny apartment with my terrible tasting curried coffee? I started having a daily quiet time. What that means is I started setting aside the first portion of my day to just be alone with God. For the first, at, at the beginning it's probably a half hour, now the first two hours of my day is just me and Jesus. What did Jesus and I do together? We do these things called spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Spiritual practices are just things that connect us with God here on earth because God, Jesus obviously is not like standing here next to me, right? So we need to find a way to connect with Jesus. And the way we do these, these practices, these practices include things like Bible reading, prayer, worship, silence and solitude, Sabbath, fasting. There's all these spiritual disciplines or spiritual practice or habits we can build, like exercises we can do in order to connect with God. I'm not going to teach you through all these tonight. We don't have time for that. And the list goes on and on. But actually in about a month, we're going to launch our discipleship groups. 
What that is, is just like a cohort where you get to come together with me or another member of our staff, and we get to learn how do we apprentice under Jesus. So we're looking out for that. A lot of these things might be new to you. You're like, what the heck is silence and solitude? Do I just go like, hum, and then Jesus comes and talks to me? Kind of, but not exactly. See, I want to start, though, tonight by explaining just two of these. I want to explain these two, and then I highly encourage you, highly encourage you, first of all, get plugged in with a small group, and then talk to said small group leader about what this looks like. They would love to walk you through what it looks like to have spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices with Jesus. So practically, I think the simplest way to enter the presence of Jesus or to have a relationship with him is through reading the Bible. The Bible is the main way that Jesus communicates with us. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What that means is the Bible, the Bible is the word of God. It's inspired by God and it's living and active. This means the Bible is not just some set of old rules. It's not just some crusty stories. But actually, as we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. The Bible discerns our hearts and our thoughts. Basically, the way God speaks to you is through the Bible. So if you want to apprentice under Jesus or learn from him, a great place to start is daily reading the Bible. That's how we learn about the character of Jesus, and that's how we start a personal relationship with him. On top of this, the second one I encourage you to do is to pray. Prayer is just talking to Jesus. I think sometimes we over-ritualize this. We think it's about saying the right things, like having our tie all straight and putting on a face for Jesus. Like, yes, Jesus, please, my life is perfect, even though it's not. Thank you for your goodness, even though I'm mad at you. Amen. That's not what prayer should be. Prayer is honest conversation between you and Jesus. Jesus is not after the masked version of you. Jesus wants the real version of you. Jesus is not offended by you praying when you're mad at him. Okay, Jesus just wants you to talk to him and have a relationship with him. Jesus doesn't have like feelings that are dictated by us saying the right things about him. If you're mad at God, tell him. He knows anyways. So prayer is just at the simplest core, being honest and talking with Jesus. Share your thoughts with God. Tell him where you're at. Thank God for things in your life. Ask God for help in things. Confess your sins to God. Also listen to God. I think sometimes like God never speaks to me. Well, you never stop talking. So why is he going to speak to you? You've got to quiet down. Sit in silence and solitude and let Jesus speak to you. And if you've never prayed before or if you've never prayed like on your own, that's okay. There's no, you can't screw it up. That's the beauty of it. It's one thing in life you can't do wrong. All you need to do is talk to Jesus and share what's on your heart. So here's my encouragement for you. I encourage you to start reading one chapter of the Bible every single day. See, just reading like a single verse, so the Bible has chapters and verses within it, and if you just read one verse, you're not going to quite understand the context. It's hard to connect with God with just reading like one sentence of what he's trying to speak to you. A chapter, though, gives you a more holistic view of what's happening. It's a great launching pad to entering God's presence. So there's an, there's an app with the Bible on it, and it has a verse of the day. That's great, but that can't be your entire connection to Jesus, because think about if my wife and I just said one sentence to each other every day. That would be kind of awkward. I would think she's mad at me. So I encourage you to start reading a chapter of the Bible every day. And then I also encourage you to not jump around from chapter to chapter, just like flip the book open. What does God have for me today? Pow! Because you might get to something really weird. The Old Testament gets really weird. So don't start there. It'll freak you out. Now you're going to start there. I shouldn't have said that. Anyways, read 
books of the Bible systematically. Read chapter by chapter until you finish a book, then start a new book. I know we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but I want to, you to understand that this is how we can connect with God. My last encouragement is don't just skim through the Bible to get it done. I think sometimes like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible now, and then we get it on our phone. Brrr, done. Time to go to bed. I did, Jesus loves me now because I skimmed through his word. And that's not quite right. Slow down. The goal is to connect with God and be in his presence, not just to check off some spiritual checklist. So I highly encourage you, the way I do that is I slowly read through, it, through the Bible, and then I write down things about what I'm reading. I call this journaling. So buy a journal if you don't have one, and I encourage you to start journaling or writing down what you read. I want to show you my journal method really quick. I'm not going to get into the weeds too much, but I use this method called time. Your small group leader would love to walk you through this, but the short version is I read through my, I have a daily Bible plan, and then when something sticks out to me, I'm like, this word seems important, or this verse is on my heart, something's sticking out to me, I stop, and then I think about why does this stand out to me. And then in my journal, I write T-I-M-E down it, and that stands for truth, inspiration, mission, and encounter. I don't expect you to memorize all of this. I would, you should write it down and then ask your small group leader to help you walk through it. So I write, I find a verse or a couple verses that stick out to me. I write time down the middle. And so the T stands for truth. And that just means what is the Bible actually saying? It's the simple truth. And then inspiration is why did this inspire me? Why does this matter to me? What do I think about it? Something like why did I pick this section of this verse? Something like that. Mission is what am I going to do about it? How am I going to apply what I just read? And then finally, E stands for encounter, and that's just I write a prayer to God. So in its simplest form, truth is what did this passage or this verse say? Inspiration is why does that matter to me? And that's the fun part. Sit there and think deeply. Don't just think, why did it matter to me? Brr, done. I sit and I stare at a window with a coffee mug and I think, why does this matter to me? Mission is what am I going to do about it? And encounter is what's my prayer to God? There's a lot more to unpack here. And so if you want to learn more, we're actually going to offer this short, free seminar to teach you how to spend quiet time with Jesus. If you're interested in this and learning how to spend time with God, if you go to our website and click Get Involved, there's a tab that says Spending Time with Jesus Seminar. So next week, I'm going to be in the union, and whoever wants to come and learn about how to spend time with Jesus, I'm going to teach you how I do it. Cool? It's on the, if you want to put up the link now, it should be northerniowaxa.com seminar. So if you want to sign up for that, doesn't cost anything, and I'll teach you what I do. Cool? But practically, here's my encouragement for you, big picture. I encourage you that if you don't read the Bible at all right now, tomorrow morning to get up a little bit earlier and start reading one chapter of the book of John. John is a book that tells the story of Jesus. So read John 1, pick one thing that's important to you, and write something down about it. Then set aside five minutes to pray. That should take you 20 to 30 minutes. 20 to 30 minutes of your day, and it'll change your life forever if you do it day by day, I promise you. Don't stop there. Gradually, you should start to pray more and read more. I read through the Bible all the way every year, and that's been a really healthy practice for me. I think it's a great goal to get there, but start with one chapter if that's where you need to start. However, the goal is consistency over quantity. See, I'd much rather you spend 10 minutes a day with Jesus every day than three hours with Jesus once a week. The purpose in this is not a religious checkbox. It's not fulfilling some requirement for Jesus to love you. It's to spend time with God. There are no such thing as divine brownie points. God will not love you anymore if you do this. But if you start doing this, you'll start to love God more. So the reason we set aside quiet time every day to do these spiritual practices is so we can meet with Jesus. 
so we can be in his presence. Another way we enter his presence is through worship. That's why we start the first few minutes of our service with music, singing to God. It's us entering his presence and encountering him. For a lot of you might be confused, like why are they all raising their hands? Why are some people on their knees and they're jumping around and they're really expressive? Like what the heck is going on around me? This feels like a concert, but also like they're getting real weird. And you might be confused. That's okay. But the reason people are expressive in worship is because they're encountering God. God is speaking something to them and they're meeting with Jesus and just a physical expression of what God's doing inside someone's heart. This is the fun part. The presence of Jesus is the point, right? This is why we do the things we do. Not just to go through religious rituals, but to have encounters with the living God. None of this is an obligation. This is all an opportunity for you. Because Jesus gives us access to his presence. So if you've been following Jesus, and if you're honest, it's felt boring or lifeless, pointless, this is my top tip. Start spending time with Jesus. Mary, she understood this idea. Martha did not. When Mary is sitting with Jesus in his presence, Martha is distracted. Martha lets serving Jesus get in the way of knowing Jesus. Distractions take us from his presence. See, Martha thought the key to a good relationship with Jesus was serving him and being hospitable. Those certainly aren't bad things. It's not bad to serve God. Jesus does not rebuke her for doing those things, but he says that's not what's necessary. He's saying the one thing that's necessary is to be with me. Doing other things distracted Martha from doing what was most important. We can easily be like Martha and get distracted. One thing that distracts us is we seek satisfaction from things besides Jesus, like we talked about last week. We think things like money, sex, good grades, partying, we think they're going to satisfy us, and they always come up short eventually. Because they're nowhere near as amazing as the presence of God. I was going to make a joke about a spiritual high being better than a weed high, but I'll just keep going and not make that stupid joke. When we seek things of the world, instead of seeking Jesus, we are settling. We're settling for less than what God's best is. When we settle for less than God's best, we get distracted from what truly matters. So Martha, is she going to remember feeding Jesus a nice meal? Is she remember how clean the room was? Maybe, but probably not. Mary, she'd remember everything from that night. Mary remember the way Jesus looked at her. Mary remember the things that Jesus taught her and the relationship they built. Because Mary was doing what was important. We often get distracted in this life by things that won't matter. When we're, when we're on our deathbed, Will we be there thinking, dang it, I got a 3.9 instead of a 4.0. Wow, life sucked. My GPA. We'll be on our deathbed thinking about our bank accounts. Like, I just didn't leave enough to my children. We'll be thinking, ah, I should have just went to Sharky's one more time, man. That could have been so much fun. No, we will not be thinking about those things. When we're on our deathbed, we're going to be thinking, what impact did I leave on this earth? We're going to be thinking, did I show people love? We're going to be thinking, did my life count for anything? The things of this world are temporal. The things of God are eternal. If God is truly there, if he truly created the universe, and this guy Jesus truly died and rose from the dead, how could anything else matter? However, there is something else that can distract us. Sometimes it's the things of the world, trying to find fulfillment through things like that. Or we can become distracted by doing things for God. This is actually where Martha was. See, Martha thought by serving Jesus a nice meal that that would be enough, which that's a good thing, right? If Martha wasn't there, they wouldn't have got to eat that night, so they need to eat. That's important. 
But Jesus is telling her that your main focus should not be doing things for me. It should be being with me. Jesus is telling her that what we do does not matter as much as who we are. We need to be before we do. We are human beings, not human doings. In our relationships with God, we focus so much on doing the right things. And that's important. Jesus wants you to live a holy life. He wants you to avoid sin. Jesus wants you to come to Kai Alpha Service and be in a small group, be in community. He wants you to live on mission. However, that is not God's top priority. He uses the things we do to just form who we are becoming. The end goal is not doing the right things. The end goal of following Jesus is not behavior modification. The end goal of following Jesus is heart transformation where we want and are becoming like Jesus. Too often we think by doing religious things that we're fulfilling the point in all of this. But that's not the point. Hear me, the point is not just being the perfect religious person. Or the point is the presence of Jesus. The point is becoming who God's asked us to be. So as we spend time in God's presence, we'll start to want to do the right things. It's a natural byproduct, but that's not the end goal. So tonight, if your main goal with God is doing the right things to earn God's love, God is looking at you saying, my son or my daughter, please stop striving. You don't have to earn my love. Jesus is not focused on you serving him. Jesus just wants you to be with him. Jesus is saying, Martha, 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 you're so anxious about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Jesus' heart is not for us to mindlessly follow him. Jesus wants intimacy with us. Jesus does not want to be your religious checklist. He wants to be your friend. This past summer, Taylor and I went to Paris. On our first night in Paris, we walked to the Eiffel Tower we sat underneath and we just enjoyed each other's company. It was a very intimate moment when I got to be the person who I love more than anyone else. Neither of us were doing anything. We weren't serving each other. We just sat together. And that's what made it a beautiful time. See, I didn't get on my phone and get distracted with ESPN or something that didn't matter. I also didn't just like jump up and start screaming like, I love you, Taylor, and like start yelling at the other French people and like who are all trying to sell me things. I didn't do that. I wasn't screaming, I love my baby girl. No, I wasn't trying to prove my love for her. I was just being with her. And that led to intimacy. With our relationship with Jesus, I think we often don't understand the point. We choose to not prioritize him, but instead focus on the things around us and we act like they're more important. Or we distract ourselves with religious obligation and duty. And then we ask questions like, why am I not getting more out of this? What's the point of life with God? This is so boring. It's so lifeless. If your relationship with Jesus is boring, I think you're doing it wrong. Life with Jesus will not be constant ecstasy and thrills, but it will be full of life. See, last week I told you that only living water will satisfy you. How does he do that? Through his presence through intimacy, through encountering King Jesus, that alone will satisfy you. And we do that through spending daily time with him. Just coming to be with Jesus on Tuesday nights probably won't be enough to fulfill you. So I challenge you to set aside time every single day and meet with Jesus. Read the Bible, pray, encounter God on your own. And if you do this, your life will be turned upside down. This doesn't mean if you get up tomorrow... 20 minutes early, get on your phone and read a verse. You're like, yes, Jesus and I are so connected now. Amen. That's not what that looks like. It's not just for doing it for a day or even just doing it for a week. It's about a lifestyle change. But if you commit to doing this daily, your life will be turned upside down. 
And as you do this, as you set out to spend time with Jesus on your own, you'll probably miss a day or two. That's okay. Jesus isn't mad at you. He just says, come back tomorrow. Jesus is not after your performance. He just wants your presence. So what's the point in all this? The presence of Jesus is the point. The presence of Jesus is the point. The reason we do all this is so we can encounter God. And when I say be in the presence of Jesus, I don't mean some fuzzy feeling or spiritual heebie-jeebies. I mean prioritizing God. Setting aside time daily to be with Him. It means not being okay with religiosity, but pursuing intimacy with God. Jesus wants intimacy with you. See, I feel like there's two groups of us in this room tonight. I think there's one group of us who have been following Jesus, but maybe if you're honest, you've struggled to prioritize his presence. Maybe you grew up in church and you knew all the right things, but if you're honest, it just kind of felt lifeless. Maybe like Martha, you've gotten distracted. For those of you that's that's grown up with Jesus, but maybe it's gotten a little stale, I have a story for you. All right, ladies, I want you to imagine something for me. I want you to imagine that you're going to study abroad this summer and you're going to a country in Latin America. And when you get down there this summer, you meet a young man. This young man, mm, he's so handsome. He's like a Latin Fabio. He is drop-dead gorgeous. He's got hair that sways. It's thick and makes you just feel things. And you know this man loves Jesus because his shirt is unbuttoned down to here. He's got chest hair flowing and a nice big cross necklace in between that proves I love Jesus. And so you meet this guy. And this man is a picture from your dreams. And you spend the summer with this guy. You fall in love with this guy. He's your entire world. And then you get ready to come back home. And he walks you up to the plane runway. And he drops down on one knee. And your heart starts pitter-pattering, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. He's like, baby girl, will you marry me? And your heart's racing. You're so excited. Finally, the man of your dreams wants to be with you. Hold on, though. Then he stops. And he says, actually, I'd like you to wait a minute. I want to make this crystal clear. I don't love you. I don't even like you. Your personality is not attractive to me. You are not my soulmate. I don't want to actually spend time together or be together forever. God, no. All I actually want is a ticket to America. I just need you to get me there legally. Ladies, how does that make you feel? I think sometimes God can feel this way about us. Like we're just following him for a ticket to heaven, but we don't actually want to be with him. We don't love God. We don't necessarily like God. We don't like being in his presence. We think the point of all this is just a ticket to heaven. When God is not a ticket, God cannot be put in your pocket. God has so much more for your life. And he wants so much more for you. Jesus wants way more for you than just like a legal contract. A good marriage is not just a legal contract. The reason I'm with Taylor, my wife, is not because we have to or legally bind it. It's because I love her. And Jesus wants to be way more than just a you follow him and you do the right things so then he owes you a ticket to heaven kind of relationship. No, Jesus wants intimacy. His presence is the point. The point of following Jesus is not a ticket to heaven. It is time, if you've been following Jesus, if not, you're a little bit excluded from this. 
But if you've been following Jesus, it is time for you to prioritize time with God. It's time to fall in love with your creator because that's way better than a green card wedding kind of relationship. For others of us, maybe you're on the flip side of the coin and you haven't really started a relationship with God. Maybe this idea sounds kind of nice, intimacy with God, but if you're honest with yourself, you don't think you quite deserve it. You're like, "Uh, I think I've ran too far from God. You're like, I think I've made too many mistakes for God to want to spend time with me. Mary in our story proves that this is false. Give you a little history lesson. In Luke chapter 7, which is a little bit before this, we read about this sinful woman who anoints and washes the feet of Jesus, and she washes them with her hair. That's intimacy. She is so close to the presence of Jesus that she washes his feet. Yet, the woman who's closer to Jesus than almost anyone before is very, very sinful. She didn't belong anywhere near Jesus. Women and men shouldn't have been together anyways, let alone a sinful man and a relig- or woman and a religious man. Because of what she had done, Jesus should not have let her in his presence. So that's Luke 7. And I want you to know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all four, they tell the story of Jesus from different perspectives. So in John chapter 12, we read what most scholars think is a retelling of the same story I just told you in Luke 7. But in that version we learn that the sinful woman of Luke 7 is probably none other than Mary, the sister of Martha from our story. There's some debate, but it's more likely than not that the same Mary who got to sit at the feet of Jesus and apprentice under him and anoint his feet had a very, very sinful past. The same Mary was probably possessed by demons. So she goes from a demon-possessed life of sin to directly apprenticing under King Jesus. Jesus does not care what your past looks like. You cannot have run too far from him. If you've never followed Jesus, it's not too late. No matter what you've done, you haven't lost your right to royalty yet. If you accept him as king, he'll accept you as prince or princess in his kingdom. And then you get access to him. And that's the whole point. So like we talked about the very beginning tonight, we shouldn't have access to God because he's perfect and we're not. So naturally, when a pure thing comes into contact with an impure thing, the impurity wears off on the pure person. For example, if a sick person and a healthy person come into contact with together, the healthy person doesn't get the sick person healthy, right? No, the sick person might get the healthy person sick. Their impurity ruins the healthy purity. So Jesus is perfect, and we are not. So when we interact, it should like hurt him, and it shouldn't be possible. But then he didn't like that because Jesus loves you, and so he came and he died on a cross for your sins. Jesus paid the penalty for your imperfection, and in doing that, he purifies you. He washes you white as snow, so now you can be together. And Jesus shows us this physically in his life. When Jesus was alive, he met a lot of sick people. When Jesus was on earth, he would often go up to these sick people and he would physically touch them, which was a social taboo. And when he touched them, when he got close to them, he should have gotten sick from them. But rather, instead of him catching their sickness, they caught his health because he healed them. Jesus flips the status quo. When we touch Jesus, we are given a life of purity and holiness before God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross, we now get to be the son or daughter of God. So we can choose to keep living a lifeless Christianity 
where we go through the spiritual motions hoping to get a get out of hell free card or we can claim our right to royalty and claim our rights to his presence. We can choose to prioritize God by setting aside time every day to spend with him. We can read the Bible and be with Jesus. If you don't know where to start, that's okay. That's why we're here. That's why your small group leaders are there. They would love to teach you how to spend time with Jesus. And no matter what you've done, we all can have access to the presence of God. And if we take up this opportunity and stop just going with emotions, we will find life and meaning in our walks with Jesus. We'll understand the point. We'll be filled with joy beyond our wildest dreams. And we will start to develop intimacy. And when you become intimate with God, you'll learn there's nothing like it. Because the presence of Jesus is the point. Would you all stand with me? Here at Chi Alpha, we like to give ways to respond to what God is speaking to us. So if you're here tonight, and if you're honest with yourself, you feel like you haven't been walking with Jesus. You haven't accepted his payment for your sins and become a son or daughter of God. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if you'd all close your eyes and bow your heads, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And if you want to give your life to Jesus and accept his payment for your sins and become a son or daughter of God, maybe for the first time, maybe you're doing it again because you've walked from him. If you want to do that on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much, God. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for washing us white as snow, God. We are so sinful, but you love us so much. Amen. Amen. The second way I want to give us an opportunity to respond is if you're here tonight and you want to commit to spending time with Jesus daily, first of all, I want you to keep that commitment tomorrow morning and get up early and spend time with Jesus. What I want you to do is we're going to sing this next song. And as we sing this song, I challenge you to expressively encounter God in a way that might be uncomfortable. So maybe for you, that looks like lifting your hands. Or maybe that looks like singing along. Maybe that looks like just putting your hands here, doing something. Maybe it looks like getting on your knees. I don't know what it is for you. But some way to physically try to open yourself up to encounter the presence of Jesus. So when we sing this song, I challenge you to get outside your comfort zone a little bit and see what Jesus has for you. Jesus, we love you so much. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we get to encounter your presence.